Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think. Jamil Sainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. All right. Ah, feels like uh, more than a month since we've we've uh, done a show. Probably has been, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Busy uh, schedules. We've had CBC. We've had trips overseas. All kinds of things. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. You. Uh, you're at CBC, right? And you're going to be at the yep. uh, Homebrewers Conference this year too. In, yep. Uh, I'll be there in Baltimore. Yeah. Yep. I unfortunately did not get to do CBC, and I won't be there for the homebrewers conference because uh, I got to pick up my daughter from uh, school. She's graduating uh, college, and uh, going to go pick her up and watch her graduate and all that stuff. And uh, so that's that is uh, a milestone. One of and one of the few things I would skip the homebrewers conference for is uh, my daughter graduating. So I'm looking yep. forward to that. Perfectly understandable. I remember when uh, I was on the governing committee. And yeah. they would always talk about the date of the thing, and they were trying to move around. And everyone just always complained about it. It's like, look, this is when like kids are graduating. This is like you know the end of school, and it's like, can you move the conference away from that? And they always just like, no, no, that's when we can do it. No, no. So they still never have, I guess. <laughs> I like it. Now it's come to bite me in the butt. Yeah, I cannot go. No. Eh, that's all right. Uh, I'm sure everyone will drink plenty of beer for me. Uh, Indeed. See see how the Hudicheks are doing. Uh, yeah. Go up and give Blickman a uh, wet willy. I'm sure. <laughs> I'll be sure to do that. I'm sure uh, uh, he will be there. John, the Blickman engineering team will be there in full force. They'll have all sorts of fancy, shiny stuff there. And uh, oh, yeah. he's uh, been a, our longtime sponsor and just uh, so wonderful that uh, uh, it'll be very cool to uh, yeah. At least you get to see them. Uh, now, yeah, are well, they going to have new secret, uh, special, top secret uh, surprises in store for everybody at the conference, John? They will indeed. Uh-huh. In fact, I was I was just brewing with Blickman last weekend. Yeah? Yeah. I was out, out in Indianapolis, Lafayette, uh, there in Indiana for a couple of days, and um, we did a couple batches together. Uh-huh. So. Got to talk about uh, new Batch, and upcoming stuff, which is hush hush and coffee, brownies, beer, uh, beer, lots oh, of beer. There you go. Uh huh. Yeah, lots of secret stuff coming out of the Blickman camp. Yes, BlickmanEngineering.com. They're always uh, innovating your your homebrew day, coming up with all sorts of uh, clever and uh, nifty pieces of gear that uh, help uh, help make your day a better brew day. And uh, you can check them out at BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, that's Blickman with a B, engineering with an E, and dot .com with a dot. Uh, check them out today. Our fine sponsor, uh, paying for this show so you don't have to. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. It'd be good to see Blickman. Um, unfortunately, yeah. I won't. Uh, I don't know. What, do you, any any idea when the next conference is after the next Homebrewers Conference, where that one's going to be? Um, they haven't announced the location yet, but I, I assume it's going to be in the same general time period. It's, it's as leaked. As you say. It is leaked. I'm sure somebody knows the location. Yeah. Some of our astute listeners have uh, have found out the, the, the leak. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, well, hopefully I'll make it to that one. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you were, uh, you were on the road. You, didn't you go to, uh, Brazil or where'd you yeah, go? Yeah, I was in Brazil this last time, um, down in Florianopolis at their, um, third technical conference or Congress as they called mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, really good time. Um, about 160 people there, um, toured several local breweries. Um, my good friend Ronaldo is opening his own brewery, um, La Bruxa, and um, and then uh, forget the other and uh, Unica, um, and then their homebrew club opened a brewery as well called Armada. So uh, the beer scene around Florianopolis is really thriving. Hmm. Very cool, and that's you've been down there multiple times, yeah. Yeah, that was my second time to that Congress, and uh, my third trip to Brazil overall. How long a flight is it? And you leave out of LAX. How long does yeah. it take you to get to Florianopolis? It's about eh, 15, 16 hours all told. Yeah. Um, this time I changed planes in Panama City and Sao Paulo. And <laughs> uh, I tell you, Panama City is swank. I mean, that's like that's like going to, you know, the Roseville Mall or, you know, Big Mall. Yeah. <laughs> and with that happens to have an airport, right? inside in the mall yeah in the mall yeah i mean it's that's that's my kind of mall with an airport in it yeah (laughs) (laughs) well we're uh, you and i are going to uh singapore yeah and uh we've got you booked through i want to say taipei taiwan yep i believe so Um, somewhere because i read that uh the uh, airport in the philippines they, there's a lot of uh, dishonest uh, security people that would play, drop bullets into your luggage and then ask you for money. Oh wow, that's not. <laughs> I'm like, oh, John, John will definitely end up uh, like in a, a Filipino prison, <laughs> and they'll yeah. just like screw the whole thing up. I better put him through Taipei. Yeah, yeah. I went. To, I'm really looking forward to that. I am too. That's that's in August. We're going to speak at the uh, Homebrewers uh, Conference there in uh, Singapore. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I'm sure it'll be a great time. They've been carrying our beer there in Singapore for a while, and uh, uh, I've seen some great events. I've uh, taken part in some uh, online stuff with them as well, and uh, seems like a lot of fun. So yeah, I'm excited. Good, good brewing crowd there. I've been corresponding with uh, a brewer in Singapore that's you know been asking about water adjustment and so on, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, looks like they're right on par with the rest of us. I went out to Sweden. Uh, oh yeah! Just recently, I went and spoke at their uh, craft brewers conference there in Malmo, Sweden, which is like the second biggest city in Sweden. I think there's only really two big cities in Sweden. <laughs> there's <laughs> Stockholm and there's Malmo. Malmo apparently is their crime-ridden city, which I didn't see any crime, so that'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, uh, comparatively, relative. maybe. <laughs> yeah, but I, I loved it. 
I absolutely adored Sweden. It was wonderful. The people were wonderful. Wonderful yeah. place. The um, I got out there and I uh, did a collaboration brew with uh, Thomas at uh, Malmo Brewing. And normally, I don't like doing any collaborations with people I don't uh, personally know and have tasted their beer and all that. But um, I had met him once, and then also Tasty vouched for him, and a lot of people were saying his beer was really good. I'm like, all right, I'll go out on a little bit of a limb here. And uh, yeah. got out there, I tell you, tasted all their beers, fantastic. Great brewer, really knows what he's doing. And then... Uh, it was just wonderful. The people were just so nice. I met some really great people there. Had a great time, and I was very impressed with their um, sensory ability. At least Thomas and his crowd, those people I was hanging out with, I'm like, man, these people really, uh, they know what they're talking about. Um, so I had a good time doing that, and then uh, did the uh, the keynote speech at the uh, conference. Enjoyed that. A lot of good information at the conference. It was their first one. They're going to do it again. I tell you, if, if I had a chance to, to go again, I would go again. Yeah. And then uh, I did the Malmo Beer and Whiskey Festival. So the guys, uh, oh. Magnus and Don Magnus from uh, 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 Brew House 19, uh, they uh, very kindly, they were the ones who set up the conference and they... They flew some of uh, the Heretic beer out there to go at the at Beer and Whiskey Fest, and mm-hmm. they cleared a space at their booth for, for us and poured our beers for us, and were just super wonderful. I, I have not been, you know, treated that kindly in a long, long time. <laughs> Those guys were <laughs> so wonderful and so generous with their, with their time and their space. I was, I was blown away. I really, yeah. I really thought that they were... Uh, awesome yeah i got the same reception in norway and uh it truly Mm -hmm. but again like i always say you know brewers are brewers the world over i mean they're always nice people no yeah they're all overweight beards yeah (laughs) i went i went well from there i went out to uh the uk uh met up with my friend uh travis and we did we did like a solid week of events just endless um Got in on Sunday, uh, met met up with a homebrewer Sunday night. Uh, Monday, we uh, did a collab with um, uh, Sam Brooks, uh, which is one of my favorite breweries in, in England. They, they do a, a lot of great classic uh, English ales and some great American styles as well. And they, they actually do an open fermentation. Oh, okay. um, and... Uh, we uh, we did a an American uh, brown with them and uh, our, our good friend Sean he actually showed up at like a bunch of our events made the effort to come out to a bunch of the events and support us and took us around to places and he just had a wonderful time love that guy uh, Sean Knight at Sam Brooks just really super wonderful guy he's he's actually South African um, and he's the head brewer there. And they make great beer. And then uh, uh, Tuesday we went to Fuller's and uh, just I signed up, you know, regular old paid tour. But um, they, one of the brewers uh, we we met there, um, he uh, turns out he, you know, uh, has read the East book and uh, super nice guy. He actually... Uh, 
uh, we were able to meet up with uh, him and uh, uh, another guy, uh, Peter from uh, from Sweden, that uh, came out to uh, stay at our house, and we had a, the wonderful American tour of uh, IHOP and In and Out and <laughs> some beer places, <laughs> and uh, had a great time. And uh, so we got the private tour of Fuller's, and then we did a uh, collab with Beaver Town. Uh, which is another one of my absolute favorite breweries in in England, and uh, those folks are uh, just spectacular. Logan is just so charming yeah. and nice and uh, generous. Uh, we had a, a great time there. We did a, a a peach wit that they're calling a peacher man, which is really I think a cool name for this peach wit. Yeah, and then uh, we did uh, what else did we do? We did a a, a beer tasting at. Uh, uh, we brought beer and we did a homebrew night where there was a bunch of homebrewing going on at uh, London Beer Lab. I'm not sure. Yeah. I've, I'm not sure I've got the names right. Everything's fading. And then, uh, and there was a lot of beer involved. And then we did a collab with uh, Mondo Brewing, another great brewery in, uh, in England. Uh, another, uh, you know, bunch of excellent beers. I actually met, uh, them in Japan. And uh, it's all just kind of small world, but we yeah. had uh, we did a collaboration there with a uh, kind of a West Coast IPA. They did the the malt bill, I did the hot bill, and uh, they did a. Uh, they also had our beers on, and they had like uh, five or six of our beers on. And I'll tell you, we did a little like tap takeover. The place was packed. I mean, it was like the brewery was full, the tasting room was full, there were people like out on the street. It was crazy. It was mm. it was uh, just insane. A lot of fun, and then uh, boy, and then uh, Beaver Town put on the uh, uh, the Buffalo Badger from from uh, Sam Brooks, their Peacher Man, and then the Global Heresy from Mondo, all in a a release pint night thing with the three collabs there at uh, at Beaver Town. I thought that was totally cool too. Yeah, that's wow. after we got back, and then we went to York, and uh, we uh, met up with uh, Peter Simons. He oh, yeah. met us out there. Uh, Travis and I went around, uh, hit all the bars, did lots of drinking, and then we went mm-hmm. to uh, Peter. Drove. He was visiting his sister, so he had a car, and uh, he drove us down to Thomas Fawcett's. And we went oh, to Thomas yeah. Fawcett's, and uh, James Fawcett himself took. Mm. Four hours out of his day to walk us around the entire maltings and wow. go out and I've walked out on the uh, on the uh, the beds of malting grain and picked them up and was examining them there with James Fawcett and he was teaching me about some of the stuff there. We went through the kilning and just everything. Absolutely wow. fantastic. Detailed. Here's here's how everything works. Here's like you know. Uh, the more modern technology, here's the floor maltings. We got to see them do the, all the floor malting stuff. We got to see, you know, how they steep it, everything. And yeah. um, after that, he took us out to lunch in his local pub, which was also fantastic. Bought us lunch, bought us beers. I mean, how nice a guy is that? I mean, that yeah. he would spend four hours, over four hours of his day, his busy day, to take uh, some schlub like me and uh, Travis and Peter around. 
and uh, I was just I was just stunned. It it, it is one of the great uh, life experiences was uh, seeing the maltings at Thomas Fawcett. I was just thoroughly. That sounds impressed. really nice. Yeah, that was incredible. All all thanks to uh, James Fawcett at Thomas Fawcett Maltings. I thought it was very cool. Very very cool. All right. Well, that's that's kind of the travel recap. I think we could do a whole show on uh, on traveling. Uh, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. The the rest of this show is going to be about uh, kind of the history of fermentation and uh, fermenters and fermenter designs and things like that. Kind of you know old to uh, to modern and and some of the impacts that's had on fermentation and the way we do things. And uh, I think it's a real interesting subject and, and reminded me. You know, if some of the things I saw at like Fuller's and some of the other breweries that we we're at, uh, it's very cool to see uh, some of that old gear. So uh, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll get into the history of fermentation right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high-temperature march pump, and either a top-tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20 gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your Brew Easy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman kettle cart. The Brew Easy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your Brew Easy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new Brew Easy all grain brewing system. See it today at at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new Brew Easy. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. MoreBeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. MoreBeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to MoreBeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, more beer social network of more than 5,000 members and some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of the buzz the forum the learning center and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest more beer catalog more beer bringing you absolutely everything for beer making When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones know beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious. Cicerones 
cans are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. First Amendment. Watch out! Do you like beer? They make beer. Watch out! Do you like friends and fun? They make friends and fun. Watch Do out! Do you still like to have a good time? The 21st Amendment. Watch out! The 21st Amendment in San Francisco, located at 563 2nd Street, two blocks from the building where baseball is seen and played. Try their beers in the pub or try them in the can, featuring... Monk's Blood. Made with real monk. Watch out! So why not have the best time of your life? Go to the 21A and Sean O'Sullivan will personally greet you with a can of... Monk's Blood. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! This advertisement is not in any way affiliated nor associated with the 21st Amendment Bar and Pub, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates. This telecast is not copywritten by the 21st Amendment for the private use of the Brewing Network. Any use of this telecast without Jamil Zanishev's consent is prohibited. Suck it, JP. <coughs> Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're talking uh, kind of history of fer- fermentation or fermenters. John, uh, tell us tell us about, uh, you know, I'm sure initial fermentation was in whatever, uh, you know, uh, like a yeah. crotch of a tree. <laughs> and it was... Uh, <laughs> You know, whatever yeah, yeah. clay pot or whatever the clay pots, Egyptians baskets. were using. Baskets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A watertight basket weaving is quite the skill. Yeah. We will need well, that for yeah, the zombie would, apocalypse. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, especially, you know, dawn of history kind of thing, you know, <laughs> they were using, uh, you know, any open container, whether it was a hollowed out log or, mm-hmm. you know, stone. Um, in fact, I remember when uh, my son and I were going through Pompeii, um, there was a, a, you know, in the ruins, there would be a, a in front of one of the buildings, um, there were two circular, you know, cylindrical uh, holes in uh, soft rock uh-huh. that the tour guide said were actually, this was a, this was a wine cellar. The wine was put in these, you know, rock cisterns and uh, sold there to passersby. So... You know, they were using a variety of... Uh, so they were serving you know, it right out of the rock? Yeah, yeah. Or they put a, like a... Well, they had, they had their an pottery, amphora, of course, but, but they, would, a, yeah. they would pour it in and then, you know, ladle it out to uh-huh. people. Huh. It's a convenient way of serving, showing it off and serving it, I guess. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's... Um, they had clay pots. They mm-hmm. had a variety of, you know, essentially open containers as you get closer to... Um, you know, uh, more recent history, the Industrial Revolution and so on. Um, copper kettles for, for boiling were mm-hmm. uh, relatively common. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hammered copper, well, soldered together and, why, and riveted together. Why didn't they ferment in copper? Well, the problem with copper uh, and a lot of other, um, you know, easy-to-work metals like that is that they act as catalysts to oxidation. Um, so it's okay to boil in them. In fact, you know, the presence of copper ions is very good at reducing the amount of sulfide, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the beer. Mm-hmm. But, uh, once the beer is fermented, 
uh, or during if you try to ferment in copper or iron or other similar metals, then you will uh, catalyze the oxidation of the beer. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, after from you know. For fermentation, they needed something different. Very often, they use wooden casks, mm-hmm. you know, like um, um, booters or uh, very large wooden tanks. Right. And then these would be lined with sometimes with pitch mm-hmm. or uh, wax or, um, you know, more recently, epoxy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess as you get closer to the, you know, 18, 1800s, you know, early 1900s, um, concrete tanks were popular. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of the Anheuser Busch uh, fermenters were concrete tanks that were lined with epoxy. Interesting, because uh, concrete—I mean, that's been around since the Romans, right? Right. Yeah. So they had a lot of options, but uh, you know, they, very often these were just you know open fermenters, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that allowed the easy harvesting of the yeast mm-hmm. and. Um, it worked, so why question it kind of thing? Right. Well, I'm sure, you know, the, the fundamental uh, thing you want in a fermenter, at least, you know, today, is you want something that's going to hold uh, liquid reliably, not going to yeah, lose really. its load all over the place, right? Um, right. You want something that does not impart um, flavors necessarily, uh, you know, flavors from the material it's being fermented in. Right. So you don't right. want to put it in like a... You know, uh, I don't know something that's that's going to leach out. Uh, you know, some unwanted. Uh, you know, some kind of plastic that's going to put all these plasticizers into your beer and taste. Uh, True. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, chewing mm-hmm. a bunch of uh, band aids or something. Like a, like a sheep bladder or something. Right. And then <laughs> exactly. And then you want something that uh, uh, is easy to clean. Um, yeah. I guess back then they. Uh, I mean, that was probably you know one of the general. Uh, you know, things that they were looking for was uh, cleanability, not necessarily that they realized, um, you know, there was bacteria and things like that there. They were, they were just looking for, you know, just general knocking the funk down. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, uh, a lot of these liners, I would imagine if you were fermenting in concrete, um, it would consume the concrete pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, that's not a very durable material mm-hmm. as it's, you know, very subject to acid, right. uh, including, you know, organic acids. Yeah. So, so yeah, those were often uh, either, line. you know, pitch, wax or mm-hmm. lined or uh, epoxy lined. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other, you know, natural stone materials such as la- slate mm-hmm. could be used as is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you just mentioned you went to, to Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see some of the Yorkshire squares? In those um, breweries, or yeah, and so uh, I mean they they're they're around uh, different breweries still kind of like have some of them, um, you know, open open square fermenters. Like I said, I went to Sam Brooks, and they're it's it's kind of like unitanks or you know some dish bottom tanks, and then the top of them is open. It's just like okay. um, it got a piece of sheet stainless. <laughs> in a circle yeah. that's got a hinge on a piano hinge and uh that's it and it doesn't like lay a hundred percent flat it's you right. know it's like you can uh, you know you could probably stick a pinky finger underneath it you know in places we went to a tour yeah. at anchor and they still have open fermentation yes and anchor does Squares. and that that's um 
Those are stainless, and they're um, mm-hmm. well. Those are rectangles now. It's oh. a little more, more advanced oh. shape. They're but, shallow though, right? Very shallow. And they're but they're in a room with uh, uh, a controlled environment, stuff, right? Yeah. It's the air is filtered. So yeah. um, if you so you go to Sandbrooks, and I mean you know the roll up doors open, and you know it's it's just natural environment out there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's really the fermentation that protects the beer. So when beer's fermenting, you know, the blow-off of the CO2, all that, you know, keeps things from getting to mm-hmm. the beer. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, as it slows down, you know, there's a croissant on top. And, uh, you know, that layer of yeast on top is, you know, protecting it. And so as as the as the beer is finished, that still sits there. You know, things can land on it. You can scrape it off and throw it away. You know, right. you can you can harvest your yeast off the top of there. They actually top crop their yeast into buckets and use that for their next next pitch. And then, you know, once you if you can take the beer out from underneath what's left, then you don't have to worry about any sort of contamination or things like that. So pretty fascinating. Um, at Fuller's, they've switched over to Unitanks. Okay. But uh, they still have some of the old uh, square fermenters still sitting there that were in use, and they just haven't done anything with them. They're just, you know. Uh, well, they're probably kind of built in place, I imagine. Not right. terribly yeah, yeah. movable. Right. It's not like they're on wheels or something. Um, one of the things I really wanted to see out in Yorkshire that I did not get a chance to do is they're still a brewery using the double drop system, which is. Oh, really? Essentially, a uh, you know a fermenter above, you know a tank like a unit tank above, and then the square fermenter below. And so initially, you pump your wort up into the the tank above, and, and that's where your fermentation starts. And uh, at a certain point in the process, you drop that beer down into the open square below, and it stirs it up. Uh, it introduces more oxygen. It remixes the yeast. And, um, you know, you don't drop it all like immediately, but you drop it with a pretty good, at a pretty good clip that kind of stirs it up. Yeah. And so, uh, I think that that's fascinating. And I, one of the things I want to do is someday I want to have, uh, you know, like a double drop system, you know, I want to have Burton union. I want to have like all these funky things, maybe some, uh, you know, the holes in, in the rock. I don't know. Uh, and yeah. and just have all of these different kind of fermentation uh, devices and setups and uh, brew beer on those and I, I think that Two side be, by side yeah so cool you know and I don't think you know many people would really get as much of a kick out of it as as we would but right I think you know that that's just so fascinating to me all the the types of fermentation I was talking to uh, uh, Henry at. Uh, uh, at Fuller's, and uh, he used to he he started out. He worked at uh, Harvey's um, in, in uh, south of England, which is a great brewery, makes some incredible mm-hmm. beers. And he was saying it's just like it was five hundred years ago. <laughs> it's just oh, wow. it's like everything was so manual, and I mean, he was just describing to me all the processes and, and the way they they do things there. And it's just like nothing's changed. They haven't wow. changed a darn thing, and it's really, really cool. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, it kind of got sidetracked on that. But, uh, yeah, so uh, the Yorkshire Squares, 
uh, yeah, there's lots of, uh, you know, I, I think uh, there are also people that are doing, um, so they'll call them like Yorkshire rounds. I think it's just, oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. open top, uh, you know, round fermenter. And yeah. um, so all this time doing uh, open top fermentation, I mean, really was anybody doing any closed fermentation all this time? I mean, lids were generally loose fitting. And right. the reason they would do that is because if you tried to ferment in something that was sealed, it would explode. It would break right. apart, Pop right? So top, you, yeah. if you tried to ferment in a sealed barrel, uh, that would just leak out the sides and blow out the ends or whatever. So that's why everything was open with maybe a loose lid thrown on top to keep bird crap out and rats from climbing in or something, right? Right, right. So what Yeah. What what changed and what, and what impact has that had on... Uh, on fermentation. Well, um, they. It, it's interesting when you look at uh, a lot of the historical brewing records and and um, you know some of the the books you know from um, the eighteen hundreds, seventeen seventeen hundreds, eighteen hundreds. You know they really do talk about primary and secondary fermentation. Mm-hmm. Um, the primary fermentation being the open fermentation, mm-hmm. and then the secondary fermentation being the maturation in a cask. And so they would go through the open fermentation, you know, for you know five six days or so, uh, harvesting their yeast and such. And then they would transfer that beer to a, a closed cask for maturation. Um, and those barrels would then, you know, generally be stored cool. Um, in some cases, the beer, you know, the barrels would be primed. Uh, you'd have your cask ale, your real ale kind of thing going on there where the, the beer is allowed to carbonate inside a closed cask. Um, and, you see, and you see that same uh, practice uh, both in the UK and in Germany, um, and, you know, across Europe, mm-hmm. uh, that the kind of the secondary fermentation in in some sort of uh, secondary t- cask or barrel that was essentially closed off to the atmosphere, you know, to reduce the amount of oxygen that would reach the beer and to allow you know carbonation. Um, of course, in bottles, of course, were. Uh, fully in use, you know, um, some of the beer would be would be directly bottled, um, you know, and familiar with that from say from Belgium and so on. Um, so you had you know had all these uh, different packaging things, but essentially um, they they didn't have as good a understanding of you know microorganisms, um, the yeast, the bacteria, and so they knew that if they once they uh, package the beer, put the beer in these casts or bottles, that generally the beer would last longer if it was kept cool, mm-hmm. um, you know, retarding oxidation, retarding bacterial growth. And so that resulted in kind of, a, you know, the, our, our understanding of lagering, uh, a long, slow maturation kind of thing. And uh, it's interesting, um, some of the first... um, innovations in material uh, happened towards the end of the 1800s, around 1875. Um, Some of the first stainless steels were uh, created Mm -hmm. um, by individuals that noted their their, uh, stain resistance, um, their manufacturability. You could draw them 
Um, you could harden them. And there's a, a couple different uh, martensitic, ferritic, and austenitic stainless steels that were uh, discovered from about 1875 right up until about 1910. Mm-hmm. And in 19... 19- 11 and 1913, you had um, a Martin stainless invented by an Englishman and two Austinitic stainlesses invented by Germans that uh, were patented and, you know, uh, started being uh, used commercially. But it wasn't until around 1925, I believe, um, that... Uh, they started to actually make uh, stainless steel sheet and stainless steel tanks. And this, of course, is after World War I. So it's, it's interesting to realize that mm-hmm. uh, throughout history, um, you know, you're kind of leading up to the 20th century and an innovation in materials that has predicated a change in the way that we ferment our beer. All right. Uh, hold on to that next thought. Um, yep. we're taking a short break first. I wanted to mention our good friends at Lamont. Uh, oh, yes. I use at Heretic a Lamont uh, water test kit. That's what we use is the professional version, which is essentially the same as the, uh, the homebrewer version, but, uh, larger quantities, maybe a few more tests. Um, and we use it. Constantly. That's what we do all our water testing on. We used to send our water out. No more. We just use Lamont, and uh, we're very happy with it. Um, as a brewery, I think you need to be checking your water. Um, you know, maybe you don't want to make huge changes to your water, but you need to know what's going on with your water because your water changes throughout throughout the course of the year in a lot of places. Some places might be pretty steady, but where we're at, where there's Conditions of drought, um, conditions of uh, you know plentiful rain, and there's rivers and all that stuff. Uh, our our water changes, you know, uh, constantly throughout the year. So it's important to um, uh, be able to test that water, and we do it at Heretic with a Lamont uh, water test kit. So uh, if you're looking for water testing, if you want to really know about your water, uh, I get a lot of people going, oh, "I want to change my water. How do I change my water?" And they'll go through the expense of doing RO water, which is essentially throwing half your water down the drain and the cost of membranes and all that, and, or they'll buy RO water to start when they could just get themselves a Lamont test kit and then they'd know exactly what their water was at any given time and then they could just adjust from there. Mm-hmm. Instead of yeah. they, they're stripping the water out, minerals out, and then they're adding minerals back in and they're paying for it twice. I don't know. Uh, so... I'm, I'm a big fan of the Lamont test kit. I think it's it's good stuff for breweries. Um, yep. I'm really pleased. So uh, check them out. Uh, Lamont. And it's spelled with an L, an A, an M, an O, a couple of T's, an E, something like that. Yeah. That's probably, the Brew Lab and the Brew Lab Plus and the Brew Lab Pro. There you go. Good job, John. Thank you. Uh, I could not remember what the names of those were. <laughs> Glad to help. We use it. I, I just, uh, you know, they don't have like it's, it printed all over the box. wonderful, right? That's right. All right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, more with how stainless changed our brewing after this. A few things happened 30 years ago. 
ARPANET migrated to TCPIP, and the Internet was born. Revenge of the Jedi was renamed Return of the Jedi and opened in theaters. Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that HopTech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mash tuns. HopTech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and the gadget guy Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or Visit the store in Dublin, California, and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at hoptech.com. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. This is Jamel Zanishef, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality homebrewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and the freshest ingredients, backed by the best customer service in the business. Do you like to mash using efficient fly sparging, but would like an easy way to heat your strike and sparge water? Enter the new Brewer's Edge Electric Mash Water Heater, a plug-in, anywhere, precisely controlled heater for strike and sparge water. Ditch the fumes and second burner and make mashing easy. Go to williamsbrewing.com today and browse their vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 4 p.m. Pacific time weekdays ship the same day. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right. Correct. What were we talking about? You were you were waxing eloquent about stainless. Ah, I could hear yes. the glimmer in your eye. <laughs> stainless yes, always a warm, warm spot. Speaking of warm spots. <laughs> Yeah, have you, have you uh, checked out our fine sponsor, uh, Adam and Eve? Uh, you know, I haven't seen that much stainless there, but uh, <laughs> some of the pictures are nice. Right. Well, are you getting enough? I bet you'd love to get more, right? Well, at adamandeneve.com wants to give you more. They're going to give you 10 free gifts. And for less money, too. That's well, right. You're going to uh, you're going to uh, use the offer code Jamil J A M I L. You're going to get a free sexy surprise for her, 
a second specially selected toy for him, and third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. I guess we we now know that this is the uh, clit bumper. Clit <laughs> 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 bumper. bumper. Oh, 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 now John gets it. I'm not sure really what that is, but apparently they're including it. Uh, plus, you get six free full-length adult DVDs. Uh, and, uh, you know, adult movies on DVD and uh, free shipping. So you get this sexy surprise for her, the surprise for him, the clit bumper, and you get the uh, six free full-length adult movies on DVD and free shipping, all for using the offer code Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, at checkout. Uh, get your 10 free gifts today, adamandeve.com. All right, so speaking of that warm, moist spot in your eye, um, <laughs> it's all about stainless so how how did the uh, introduction of stainless or the invention of stainless affect uh, sheet stainless affect this uh, fermentation? How how has fermentation changed? What what exactly are we yeah. doing differently now? Well, you know, stainless steel—the fact that you could form it into a tank that had you know better uh, structural rigidity, um, higher strength than uh, you know a thinner wall section than say you know wood and concrete, um, easier to clean. Uh, you know, all those things um, allowed them to make closed fermentation tanks, uh, tanks that could, you know, uh, withstand pressure. Um, of course, this is, you know, right at the end. This is after the age of steam. Um, so they had a much better pr- understanding of uh, pressure gauges, pressure relief valves. Um, they were using, they could use steam jackets on stainless steel for heating. Um you know, there's a real sea change in technology um, around this time. Well, uh, and also, allowed, I mean, they were pardon? they were taking into account the work of Pasteur and, uh, uh, oh, yeah. you know, all the all the work done out in Carlsberg and all that uh, for yeah. uh, yeast. And so they knew that they, you know, if you, uh, you know, Pasteur showed that you could, you know, seal off or, you know, occlude something yeah. from letting dust just land in it and it would stay fresh for, you know, essentially forever. Right. Yeah. They were, they were beginning to understand anaerobic fermentation versus aerobic, mm-hmm. um, you know, and as you say, uh, pasteurization and, you know, shielding from microorganisms. So, um, going to, um, stainless steel tanks allowed for, uh, larger, but yet stronger tanks that could hold more, um, they could make them taller and take up less floor space. Um, that increased production. Um, there was also, uh, what was it where I was going with that? Ah, lost that train. Steamed off into the distance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's, there was um, a real change in, you know, I guess in terms of what um, steel, uh, stainless steel allowed them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the, oh yes, uh, cylindrical, con- cylindrical conical tanks were also invented, you know, around 1940s, 50s, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere in there. And so cylindrical conical tanks came into uh, use during the 20th century. And uh, that allowed, you know, yeast to be dropped. That allowed maturation to occur within the same tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had jacketed tanks appear on the scene. I mean, there's just you know a real technic- technology change from you know the the porter tanks of London, you know of the 17 and 1800s, 
you know, where one burst and, you know, drowned a uh, hundred people or so. Um, now to stainless steel, active temperature control. I mean, just a whole host of mm-hmm. uh, technolo- technology changes um, as a result of this material change. And that affects the way that we can uh, control our fermentations. Mm-hmm. So now I think what we're seeing, you know, throughout the 20th century now into the 21st is uh, before, you know, the majority of everything was open fermentation. Now we're seeing a majority of beer brewed with closed fermentation, mm-hmm. although open fermentation is still, you know, it's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's interesting the the changes in the beer and the changes in uh, the yeast when uh, you go from open to closed fermentation or vice versa. I know right. that uh, uh, a number of breweries have have transitioned from one to the other, and their yeast that was always a top cropping yeast once uh, switched to closed fermentation, and the yeast very quickly ended up no longer a top cropping yeast, and when they would harvest off the bottom. And you yeah. wouldn't think that you'd think that's well, you know, fundamentally, how how does that change, uh, you know, so quickly? But but it does. And uh, I guess you know the yeast will also, uh, you know, once you start top cropping it, it'll it'll tend to uh, become a top cropper. Yeah, yeasts are extremely adaptable that way. Um, of course, when you change, you know, you change them from top cropping to bottom cropping, and you change. Essentially, you know, the amount of oxygen they get mm-hmm. and, you know, that affects uh, the way they synthesize their, their sterols, the way they, you know, the fatty acids they consume and so on. I mean, you do change the character of the beer and uh, very often the brewer has to, you know, uh, step up and, you know, take hold of the reins and, and start uh, manipulating the rest of the brewing process to accommodate those changes in flavor of the beer mm-hmm. as a result of that change in the fermentation. Uh, it could be recipe change. It could be, you know, uh, pitching rates. It could be, a, you know, several several levers he has available to him to, well, to uh, manage that. What's fascinating to me is uh, when we were doing the Kenya Brewett show, um, we were uh, given the recipe and the fermentation parameters of London Pride. Oh, yeah. Chad was brewing it, and it wasn't until he stuck to the fermentation um, parameters, and it wasn't until he, uh, you know, used the same uh, maltster that we really got a beer that was very, very close to London Pride. Um, it, it, it's interesting because their fermentation profile has got these. I, I don't recall what it is off offhand, but it's got these uh, uh, odd, you know, temperatures going up from seventeen C or sixteen Z to, to, to eighteen, or and then uh, or you know, or there, it goes to twenty, and then it goes down to to two, and then it goes back up to six, and then it goes to oh. like three. <laughs> it's got like all these bizarre changes in temperature that. And they, I, I think they refer to it, I, I could be wrong here, but I think they refer to it as their, like, their diacetyl rest or something, mm-hmm. is like this crashing of the temperature. That's and, strange. And yeah. really, it, it's, you know, it's something that uh, uh, retains the uh, diacetyl, if you ask me, you know, because, right. I mean, the, the, it's kind of the opposite of what, what you would do. But uh, the, it's still in the archives if somebody wants to go back and listen to it. I haven't listened to it for a while. So um, 
I mean, maybe I'm, I'm messing it up, but I, 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 I know that they're, you know, they, they do this for like a maturation period and they, they, they kind of mess around with it. And if, if you have, you know, uh, pride there in London, it's got a, a lot going on in it. We actually, yeah. um, we brewed a, a bitter here, uh, at Heretic and then we had sent some, some kegs of it over to, uh, England so people could try it, which is just, it's like, you know, it's it's like uh you know practicing your you know your toy flute and then uh going and hanging out with your your friends at the philharmonic and going yeah let me sit in for a few yeah right? yeah um and so uh you know ours is just way too clean and if you uh-huh. if you have those beers over there you know the, it it's got you know a little bit of dacetal it's got a little bit of this got a little bit of that a little little acetaldehyde little bit of funky stuff going on here and there that's not you know um creating this unpleasant experience it's actually just adding you know just these background hints of character and and interesting notes and uh you know these esters and 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 funky bits to to the beer that a real melange yeah yeah really you know fills out that character it makes it a a uh, an interesting a characterful beer uh, even you know with a with a small beer that's you know maybe you know three and a half percent, you're getting all this character with it too. So, you know I think that that's a, a a big part of it as well. Like you're saying, the brewer has these controls that they're manipulating, and a lot of them are time, temperature, you know, pitching rates, and nutrients, uh, you know, open, close for better, all this stuff. Uh, you know, yeast strain especially, um, all kind of determines what kind of result they're going to get out of. Uh, a given uh, tank. Now, the people at Fuller's they've shifted away from the squares to this, uh, uh, you know, unit tanks. But yet they're still making something that you know a lot of people will poo-poo it and about. Oh no, it's not the same. But um, it's still an interesting beer. Yeah, it's it's still uh, you know quite a quite a spectacular beer. Yeah, if fermentation, I mean, it's. it's fascinating ongoing technology and uh it'd be interesting to see if the pendulum swings back a little bit you know going forward a little going back to more open fermentation as uh you know people may decide they like those characters more right right um well and yeah with with a lot of what's going on now i think you know people are looking at uh, you know how things are made where they're made you know the 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 nature of how things are made, you know, people are going back to handmade stuff. They like that, you know, and I, right. I think that's one of the aspects that a lot of this, that's why I think all this fermentation technology is really cool. And, uh, you know, I don't want to see it die. I don't want to see it go away. So if I right. got to do it myself, I'll do it myself. Maybe I could buy some of those old, you know, fermentation pieces from England and just get them shipped over here. That's oh, the yeah. thing to do. That's what I need to do. Not build my own. I need to go go and get them. Get the real things. Yeah, that's right. And I'll save them. I'll use them here. I, I don't. I don't want to see you go away. All right. Let's take our one last break, and when we come back, we'll wrap up with uh, the history of fermentation and fermentation vessels. Right after this. 
Ken Grossman of Sierra Nevada Brewing Company says making great beer is hard. Making the same great beer every day is harder. Brewers Publications announces its latest release for breweries of any type and size. Quality Management, an essential guide for brewers by Mary Pelletieri. Proper quality management for small, regional, and national breweries is critical. Whether you are an established business or brand new, learn the best ways to create and manage a quality system in your brewery. This book will guide you in developing a comprehensive program that will grow with your brewery, help ensure quality processes in the brewery, and continue providing great beer for your fans. Quality management for breweries is critical for continued success. This guidebook teaches you to integrate quality management in every level of the operation. It will guide you in developing a comprehensive program to ensure quality processes in your brewery. Quality management, an essential guide for brewers, now available from Brewers Publications. Learn more at brewerspublications.com. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like Brew Your Own Magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, they're amazing special issues like plans for building a Brutus 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own Magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any any brewer, whether for yourself or as a gift, when you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the BrewingNetwork.com. heard about White Labs Pure Pitch Yeast. Pure Pitch is yeast grown right in its final packaging. That means yeast that has never been exposed to the environment. And White Labs Pure Pitch Yeast for homebrewers is now available to everyone at homebrew retailers nationwide. Easy to use, perfectly sized, and ready to pitch. White Labs yeast packaged using their FlexCell process ensures the purest yeast on the market. Visit whitelabs.com to learn more about Pure Pitch, FlexCell technology, and how it's created. Then visit a homebrew retailer near you for your own perfectly sized package of Pure Pitch yeast. And you can say hello to your own little friend. www.whitelabs.com in my beer again. What? Why? It's just too ridiculous. Insane prices, stupid contracts, high shipping costs, crappy selection. Dude, you need Nico Brew. Nico Brew will rock your f***ing face right the f*** off your f***ing skull. $5 shipping to all 50 states, plus fantastic international rates get you low prices on Nico Brew's great selection of hops and more. Whether you're a home brewer, a pro brewer, or a home brew shop owner, Nico Brew can get you the hops you need in increments big and small, single orders, spot buys, or full contracts. And there's only one place to join the uber-special secret elite bare-bones club where you'll get the best deals anywhere. Holy f***! 
NicoBrew.com. N-I-K-O-B-R-E-W. Nico Brew, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right. All these you view in the video, see my my mean fly swatting skills. <laughs> of course. What are you hitting it with? It rolled up your your show outline. Ah. <laughs> rolled up. Uh, the the flies uh, very similar to the people of Concord, uh, slow and uh, slow and dimwitted, okay. easily easily out outsmarted by a moving piece of paper, easily hit upside the head. Yes, yes. Now now that last one, he's still stuck to the glass. So uh, eh, well, I'm just gonna leave it there so we can see how long it takes Bevo to notice that there, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was thinking <laughs> right at eye level. Uh, that's what she gets for not being here. All right. Uh, so, uh, any last thoughts on uh, fermentation, fermentation history? I mean, where do you think fermentation uh, technology is going, John? I mean, do you have a, a, any insight into that? Well, I think I th- I, it's the the technology of the fermenters. I think combines with. Uh, our a better understanding of yeast and uh, mm-hmm. you know biological life of yeast and how they ferment, um, it really allows us to produce better beer in a shorter period of time uh, than we ever been able to before. Mm-hmm. That's that's my thought on it. And so um, I don't see us going to you know single day fermentations anywhere in the near future, but uh, mm-hmm. certainly. Um, I think the technology is going to allow us to keep producing uh, higher volumes and higher quality of beer um, going forward. Ah, but some would argue that the quality is less because, you know, again, the, the beer is too clean and, uh, yeah. you know, well, maybe you, you know, and maybe that's that Maybe there, that's right? where going back to open fermentation mm-hmm. um, allows us to bring forth that complexity mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, more controlled, more consistent uh, ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, it's, it's going to depend on uh, brewers and, and consumers, yeah. you know, really uh, determining what it is that they want and, and what, uh, what they want to see happen, but... Yeah, I'd, I'd love to get my hands on some used uh, traditional British uh, fermentation vessels and see if I could bring them back to the U.S. and set them up here. We could uh, be initiating the next uh, trend in craft brewing right here, you know, <laughs> open fermentation. Yeah, yeah. Shift away from sours and IPAs, barrel-aged to uh, open fermentation. Hey, yeah. You got you to gotta line on any uh, slate farms? That would be, that'd be <laughs> awesome. Right. There's got to be some in Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin. Got to be some somewhere. So I'm sure there's some slate cutter that uh, that listens to the show. Any got any stone cutters out there that uh, whack me off uh, a few squares of uh, slate? <laughs> I really just I really just want to cut that out and just save it. <laughs> That's very similar to snap me off a fresh piece. Um, yeah. All right. 
Uh, great show. Very interesting uh, history of uh, fermentation and some of the, the reasoning behind it, uh, the changes. Um, very yeah. interesting. All right. Uh, if you're listening live, stay tuned. We've got uh, some uh, live Q&A coming up. We're going to do, I think, uh, kind of the uh, potpourri on the next one, or we also have one on, on yeast coming up. We're going to do three shows tonight. We're in, in for the long haul. Okay, that's right. Well, you know who's in for the long haul? Our good friend Blickman, John Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com. Check him out. Uh, he's sponsoring the show, so you don't have to pay for it. You uh, go to BlickmanEngineering.com, tell him how much you love the show, and uh, appreciate the fact that he's uh, paying for it. And check out the, the Brig Network store while you're at it. Lots of goodies in there. You buy yourself some hats, uh, glassware, condoms, uh, you name it. Uh, and they will uh, they will ship it out to you, and everything you buy from the Brewing Network store goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network. Helps keep shows like this on the air. Till then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong, everyone. <laughs>